As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Everton, nil satisfaction, nil optimism. We'll gloss over a whooping for the women's team and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. And it's a bit of a tough sell to try and inject some positivity into your Monday blues, but we shall do our best or maybe we'll just share in the grief. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm joined by two of The Athletic's finest. Good morning, Simon Johnson. Morning, it's a wonderful day, Matt. <laughs> Big smiles. Happy faces. Christmas is just round the corner. I'm not going to make a sack joke. Let's hope we get some presents or something soon. Yeah, anyway, Luke Bosch is also with us. You okay, Luke? I am delighted, Matt, and I'll tell you for why. I managed to see a rare occurrence at the weekend. Um, many Chelsea fans will have had the same. Ian Martson playing minutes at left back. Uh, <laughs> so that's it's made me very happy to start the week. Not as many as he maybe could have got, but yeah, still, we'll take it. And hey, the under-18s won in the Youth Cup, so it's not all bad. But I'm afraid we have got to start with events at Goodison Park on Sunday. McNeil slides it through, Calvin-Lewin, Sanchez saves, Decore! It's late in the day, he wouldn't mind another one here to seal the win. They came down a slap of the We were playing really well. Uh, I think we conceded. Uh, we were not clinical enough um, in the last third, and that punish us, you know, that no score. But, and then when we conceded to go in, in behind of again to the result and taking risks. Yes, disappointed because frustrated because I think the team deserved today deserved another result, not to the defeat. 
Well, let's hope that that was Chelsea's last ever visit to that particular stadium and that Everton's new home will be a happier hunting ground. Uh, here's Liam Toomey at full time. In hindsight, maybe I was a bit harsh on Simon Johnson. It seems that Chelsea don't actually reserve their worst performances for when he's in attendance. And this is just kind of who they are. Going into today's game, if they hadn't have been given a 10-point deduction by the Premier League, Everton actually would have been a point ahead of Chelsea. On this season's evidence, they're simply a better team. And I think that played out again. That in spite of the fact that Pochettino's pre-match challenge to his Chelsea players to show the required intensity and energy and not be soft and sloppy, as he said they were against Newcastle and Man United, was heeded. I thought Chelsea started in the right way. Badia Scheel and Dezassi were the right choices at centre-back to handle the physical threat of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Armando Breuer made Jared Branthwaite uncomfortable. Conor Gallagher brought some much-needed energy back into midfield. But for all those good things, Chelsea never carried any goal threat beyond a couple of hopeful Cole Palmer shots from range. They never made Everton feel as though they were out of the game. And we know the story at this point. At some stage, Chelsea will make a mistake. They will expose themselves and give you a chance to, to beat them. And that's exactly what happened in the second half with the, the chaotic transition sequence that led to Decore scoring. And from the moment they fell behind, you never felt like Chelsea could actually get back into it. Sean Dyche has done this many times. Everton defended low, they defended deep, they defended with a real sense of purpose and focus. And regardless of the changes, Chelsea never really had much impetus. Mikhailo Mudrik had spectacular bursts and then quickly undermined that with poor execution or decision-making. And I haven't even mentioned the injuries yet. <laughs> Let's get on to the, uh, the positives. Um, Reese James is injured again. It's beyond sad, beyond depressing at this point to see him go off midway through the first half after playing only 45 minutes against Manchester United. And then Robert Sanchez picking up an injury in the second half and, and Georgi Petrovic thrown in to the cauldron of Goodison ends up with a weak punch that results in a late second goal, which didn't ultimately matter. I think Chelsea were going to lose this game either way. But it's another defeat. It's one step further away from where Chelsea want to be in the table uh, in terms of Champions League qualification. And the question becomes, you know, is Mauricio Pochettino under pressure? Should he be? You know, I, I do think the story is, is markedly different from what it was under Graham Potter last year. The guidance then was that Potter was the man for the long term until he suddenly wasn't. We'll have to stay tuned and see what happens with Pochettino. But I think regardless of whether they go forward with him or not for the long, long term, Chelsea are married to the pain of this long term rebuild. Simon, Liam says Chelsea are married to the pain of this long-term rebuild. It was all looking so positive before the international break, wasn't it? What's happened in the game since then? Because going backwards would be putting it mildly. I blame the international break. It's it's all the international break's fault. No, I just think that you'd be a little bit, whilst it was positive, I and mean, we can't be revisionist, you know, we were quite positive chatting post-Man City. But... 
you'd have been foolish to think that all the problems had gone away. Um, they were still conceding goals and there were still sort of players that are questionably inconsistent and also the injury issue is still there. So all we've seen really is confidence start to evaporate. I think it's very sort of flimsy. It's like Chelsea are built on sand at the moment. The foundations are very, very unstable and it doesn't take much to knock the house down. And yeah, it just feels like they're back to square one again, essentially. The confidence has, has sapped out of this squad. Pochettino's now wearing that familiar ashen face look that I've seen so many Chelsea head coaches wear. They should actually call it like a Chelsea illness at the doctors or something, you know. If a head coach goes in, what have you got? You've got the blues, blues. They got the Chelsea-itis. <laughs> and there's no cure apart from the P45 and a healthy pale. <laughs> it's amazing when I, I think back to his unveiling in July and he walked in with this swagger and this, it, it looks so sort of fresh faced and full of belief and all that. And five months later, here we are and it's all gone. <laughs> um, I feel a bit sorry for him and I, I feel like I've gone back 12 months to Graham Potter and, and what he was going through. John tweeted us at SO Cobb and Pod with this pretty accurate summary. A month ago, this team looked to be turning a corner. Last couple of weeks feel like that brief bit of hope never happened. Uh, loads of headlines, Luke, coming out of this game. Is Maurizio Pochettino under pressure? Will Chelsea spend in January? Is Reese James ever going to stay fit? Where have all the goals gone? Which of those particularly painful threads would you like to pull out first? Oh. <laughs> uh, where to start? I think... <laughs> You can only pick one, Luke. Okay. You can only pick one, right. Um, I mean, to your first point, Matt, I think, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, Pochettino as a Chelsea head coach is almost perennially under pressure, even at the best of times, because, you know, Chelsea haven't been where they want to be for the last, you know, two or three years. And, you know, he's now the man charged with building something um, right from the ground up. So I think there's there was always going to be pressure. And... I think it was it was telling that Pochettino said again after the game, he was kind of happy with the performance overall and it was another day where they didn't get the result that he felt they deserved. And, and I, you know, I think a lot of Chelsea fans might be a bit sick of that because at the end of the day, you know, you don't get any points for a, a good performance and no goals. But, you know, watching the Everton game... I'm kind of inclined to agree with him. I came away from that this match with far more, even though ostensibly losing to Everton is a worse result for Chelsea than losing to Manchester United, who are a bigger club with more resources and better players. But I felt better after the Everton game than I did after the Manchester United game. And I actually think there was progress made between the two results, even though they were both poor despite the fact that there was very little time in between them due to, you know, the Premier League and its busy time. So I think there are, <laughs> you know, parroting Pochettino, but I think there are good things to look forward to. And I, although, it, as I said, it's a very bad result on the surface of it, I don't think, you know, from a football perspective, you Chelsea's performances and players are trending necessarily all the way down. I think, I think there are positives to take. Awesome. I feel better already. Um, Simon, if I can just um, take something from what Luke said, extrapolate something which he probably didn't mean at all, but all we need to do is drop 100 million quid on Victor Osimhen next month and everything will be fine. 
I thought for a moment you were going to say, um, I'm, I'm coming to you, Simon, to completely counter that <laughs> positive up. But what I will say before I answer your question there is touch on what Luke said, is that it wasn't like Chelsea were awful at Goodison Park. They, they, they weren't horrific. They weren't, they seem to save their worst performances for me, I have to say. The, the away games at Newcastle and Manchester United were a whole new level of ineptitude. Um, whereas Everton, I wasn't surprised they lost. They pretty much always lose there and always in the same fashion. They they tend to actually play quite well, don't take advantage of, of when they're on top and then Everton score a, usually a pretty rubbish goal. The crowd suddenly raise their voices and it becomes a difficult game, much more difficult game. And then they sort of, yeah, usually score from a set piece and that's pretty much exactly what happened. But look, there's been a lot made of Pochettino's quotes and I'm not entirely sure why because everyone pretty much knew us us on the Chelsea beat knew that Chelsea were going to spend again in January that that isn't a shock there may be a bit of outgoings as well to sort of um, offset the cost but yes they want to sign another attacking player now how easy it's going to be to convince an attacking player of quality it's always difficult to sign someone in January of that ilk of a high calibre anyway. But it, to convince someone to come join this Chelsea project right now, it's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be one of the best teams in the world, which is, I think is what they've pitched to the players that have come so far. It's going to be a really tough sell. So just because you want to sign someone in January doesn't mean that they're going to or going to be able to get their top target. And someone like Osman, for example... I've already been told it's going to be a really, really, really difficult deal regardless. And I just think Chelsea's form is is going to make that even harder. That quote from Maurizio Pochettino, I will not say I need to ask for more players or less players, but it's to see if the perception matches the reality. Is expectation here reality? Because we're missing something in the middle. That is the reality. Maybe we need to improve our reality. We should just call that Poch getting real. I suppose. Uh, let's get away from transfers and back to the game then. It was an interesting team lineup, wasn't it, Luke? Because we saw what Sterling, Jackson, Thiago Silva, and Colwell all rested slash dropped. I, I guess that was inevitable after Pochettino had, had talked about his players being tired after Old Trafford. How did the changes work for you? I mean, some of them didn't last very long, I guess. Yeah, I think the um, the most impactful change to the lineup from the Man United game, which kind of goes back to a, the sort of positives I was talking about before was obviously Conor Gallagher coming into the midfield and that allowed Cole Palmer to move out to a, a more wide position, but obviously with a lot of license to kind of drift in field and, and play in the pockets when he wants to. Uh, and I felt that that gave Chelsea a much better balance in midfield. I actually thought, I don't know if it was, you know, a knock-on effect or what, but I thought Enzo Fernandez, you know, for the hour that he got was really good. You know, probably his one of his better performances in recent weeks. Uh, I think Gallagher on the pitch does kind of release him from some of his defensive duties alongside Moises Caicedo. And I felt, you know, Thiago Silva dropping out of the team, I think it was kind of telling that with all the defensive injuries that Chelsea got that he didn't come on the pitch. I imagine that was very much, uh, you know, Thiago Silva is on the bench in name only. He's very much not going to be used, you know, to sort of save his legs at his age. But I kind of I liked the team that started and I kind of agree with Pochettino when he said that Chelsea definitely lost something when Reese James 
went off injured. It was a it was a very strange one that because he he kept playing on even though you know the commentators knew that Chelsea were bringing on Colwell for Reese James. He didn't go down and, and receive treatment. He walked off, and I think Kukurea playing right back again. It's almost a bit of a meme at the moment, but I kind of understand it from Pochettino's perspective because I think he really values the attacking impetus of his fullbacks. And although maybe it would make more sense on paper to play Axel Dizassi at right back as he ended the game, I think Chelsea would have lost a lot going forward. And, you know, we saw a couple of times when Kukurea made those runs down the wing that kind of drew Mikalenko or whoever it was away from Cole Palmer and Palmer was able to cut inside and get a shot or a pass off. So I kind of, I like that balance. And that's, that's for me, you know, I think I said it on the previous pod, I much prefer Cole Palmer playing in that, in that wide right position because uh, I think he can be more impactful offensively and he's still maybe a little bit lacking defensively as we saw against Manchester United. But overall, I like the team selection. A lot of the substitutes were were four, so I think it's quite hard to sort of evaluate, you know, Pochettino's use of changes. Um, and Armando Breuer coming in, of course, I actually thought he had a decent-ish game, but I think, you know, Pochettino, as you said, Matt, talking about needing something through the middle, and I felt the one one of the areas where Chelsea were weak is the sort of disconnect between the midfield and Breuer. I think a lot of times he was isolated, he had to hold the ball up, and then you know, he was kind of looking around for like you know, seemingly five minutes while someone tried to make his way towards them. And I guess that's the thing that Chelsea is still trying to figure out is, you know, they want to play out from the back, which a lot of the time means Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo, Cole Palmer, Mudrick, whoever it is, has to drop deeper to receive the ball. But then Breuer is still high. You know, maybe that's a game plan if Chelsea can go long, but it, it felt it didn't really work at times. Yeah, Chelsea had 72% possession, 16 shots at goal, but only four of them were on target and none were what Opta would define as big chances. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino, Simon, coming in for a, a bit of stick from people who've got in touch with us, including Andrew, says Poch hiding behind injuries and the need for more transfers is pathetic. You're the head coach, come up with a game plan. Is there maybe some justified criticism that he hasn't been flexible enough with his tactics so far? Yeah, he, he shouldn't. There are a lot of problems at Chelsea. He's not solely to blame. I don't think there's a magic wand that you get rid of Pochettino, which I think a section of the fan base already starting to think about, and someone else comes in. There's not many Unai Emery's around, put it that way. And also, Chelsea's such a bonkers basket case of a club at the moment. I think it would be a very, very difficult job for anyone to come in and, and make this work. But in saying that, you have to start questioning the impact that Pochettino is having. As I said in my piece post-Manchester United, what's happened to the benefits of having a full week of training on a regular basis for not being in, in Europe? You know, the last coach who, who had that was Antonio Conte and they went on to win the league. Now, he had a better squad, but he still, if you remember, everyone remembers really that was around at the time, Chelsea got off to a bad start and he changed formation and worked on that formation. And that was what one of the the benefits of not being in Europe had for Conte was that he had a full week to make the back three work. I'm not really sort of seeing the impact that I thought Pochettino would have coaching-wise. He loves his 4-2-3-1, but I don't think it's working. And funnily enough, one of their best defensive performances in recent 
recent weeks has actually been when they went down to 10 men against Brighton and, and switched to three at the back. So I, I do wonder if something else should be tried because plan A, Chelsea aren't scoring goals and, and perhaps more worryingly, well, actually Chelsea have been scoring goals. Sunday was a rare, rare uh, shutout. But worryingly, it's just the amount of goals they're conceding. It's just, it's nine, nine Premier League games now. I'm going to keep shouting out the, the stat on Twitter as well. I'm just going to keep on X, sorry. I'm just going to keep making that point until they keep a clean sheet because the goal scoring problems are going to be magnified even more if Chelsea keep conceding one, two, threes in games because obviously that makes their task of winning a lot, lot harder. Well, something else that gets magnified is the attention on the club as a whole when the men's first team lose. And we've had lots of tweets about the general malaise at Chelsea at the moment. Freddie says, I guess the main questions are, does this game, this run change anything? Does it change the long-term approach? Lumping change on change doesn't work, but something clearly isn't right. Elliot, what a shambles of a football club we are at the moment. Top to bottom, things aren't seeming to gel. We haven't heard a peep from the new owners. Danny, I don't think I'm alone among genuine fans and that we can't really see a way out of this mess. If they sack Poch, what then? The problems are still there. And if they buy a couple of new overpriced players, the fundamental challenges don't go away. And Shaq Attack simply says, Chelsea is to football what an unsalted cucumber and cabbage soup is to cuisine. <laughs> That's superb. Yes, I mean, it's spot on, isn't it? Well done, Shaq Attack. Um, <laughs> Luke, we could do with hearing from from the owners at some point, couldn't we, as to, you know, something around general strategy, or even if it's just a, just, you know, a couple of lines saying, we get it, it's not going brilliantly at the moment, this is what we're trying to do to, to make things better, or, or are, are those just kind of weasel words when you hear that from owners and, and really they're better off seen and not heard? Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. We've seen a lot this season in particular, Not maybe not necessarily statements from owners per se, but big clubs doing club statements after big issues. You know, you think of Arsenal have done it a couple of times, Liverpool have as well. And I think it's incredibly difficult to strike the right tone to appeal to both the fan base and, you know, maybe a wider audience as well. And I think by doing that, you you do, as you say, Matt, put even more pressure and turn even more attention onto the club. And I think for now, I, I think I'm not, I'm not convinced that, 500 words on the Chelsea website is is what's needed. I'd rather they kind of just let Pochettino do his thing and and act as the mouthpiece for the club. I know it's, you know, Chelsea have had difficulties when Thomas Tuchel was perhaps unfairly asked to be a mouthpiece in a very difficult time for the club, but this is not the same circumstances. And I think while the issues for Chelsea are on the pitch, I think the owners should, as they kind of have been doing, keep a backseat, keep being present at games, but just let Pochettino kind of explain what's going on because you know fundamentally he knows better than Todd Burley and, and Ben Egg Barley. To go back to Freddie's question as well, I <laughs> I don't actually kind of goes to what I was saying before. I don't think this result and this run changes anything because I think Pochettino does have a plan and he has more of a plan or a tangible plan than I think we saw from Thomas Tuchel at times last season. And then I think Graham Potter was also dealt quite a bad hand. But you know to what Simon said you know, having a, the idea of a plan B or being flexible. I think we almost saw Graham Potter do that too much last season where he was changing formation every other week and, and changing personnel quite a lot. And I think it's, you know, we have seen from Pochettino, he likes the 4-2-3-1, has occasionally gone 4-3-3, but there is a plan in terms of a style of play. And I imagine, not wanting to put words in his mouth, but I imagine if Chelsea were to play a three at the back, 
he would feel that that compromises his principles and the style of football he was brought to the club to play and that he, I imagine, promised the owners in, in whatever meetings were had and has kind of promised the fan base. So I think, <laughs> to return to Freddie's point again, I don't think this game changes anything because as myself and Simon have said, there were more positives from this game. And I think Chelsea do have our beginning slowly to implement our identity. It's just the consistency that's lacking. And I think that is going to be, it's always going to be lacking when you have such upheaval over a summer. And I don't think, I think Chelsea is a bit of a shambles, but I don't think it's a full blown disaster. All right. We're not quite on the shambles level yet then. Uh, let's talk about injuries, Simon, because that's always good fun. Loads of them in this game. Reese James, the most significant one. Peter says, when do we start talking about Reese James' career ending? Poor guy can't catch a break. Uh, Liam, on his briefing piece for The Athletic, said, with every new setback, the wisdom of Chelsea's reliance on the Cobham graduate looks shakier and shakier. Um, are we at the stage where we're not writing this season off, but we're saying it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to finish in the top four or five at this stage. And, and therefore, let's find the best long-term solution to extend Reese James's career and make it what we think it can be, rather than keep patching him up and sending him out and hoping for the best, which feels like it's been the strategy of late. Yeah, I sort of think back to last season, what a wasted opportunity that was to really deal with the issues because last season is pretty clear when he came back against Bournemouth and got injured in the second half against Bournemouth. I know there was discussions then about operations, etc., and that wasn't taken. Now, admittedly, that was a, a different injury. That was a knee, a knee problem, but you sort of think, oh, they. The season was pretty much done and dusted at, by that stage. I know there was the Champions League, but no, no one really expected Chelsea to win that. They'd been drawn away to Man City in the FA Cup by that stage. I think everyone knew how that game was going to go. So you just sort of felt that that could have been a, a really useful time to get your your best player, arguably, right. Now, that decision wasn't taken, and, and it just feels like, I've got great sympathy for Reese James and I understand everyone's frustrated and there's a bit of a pile on him at the moment. But I think people should remember that there is a human being here, right, that is sort of trying their utmost to get fit and just imagine how they're feeling. And I'm I'm sure no one is as gutted right now as Reese James, who's captain of this club. He's watching his club struggle. And he can't be on the pitch to help them out on a regular basis. So I've got great sympathy for him. What they do now, obviously, there's going to be the usual sort of debate about that. But I would like to sort of think, right, let's do what's best for Reese James, not what's best for Chelsea Football Club, if that makes sense. I think Reese James has to be put first now because this is getting ridiculous that he he's out every sort of five minutes. Yeah, let's hope that the next time we see a post about him on the Chelsea website, it says undergoing the reconditioning phase of his rehabilitation or whatever um, the wording is that they use for such things. I'm sure it'll be really in-depth and detailed what's going on, Matt. <laughs> no wishy-washy words. Uh, the other injuries to Mark Kukure, I think that was just an impact one, hopefully not too bad. The Robert Sanchez one was interesting, Luke, because it seemed to happen a long time before he, he went off. He was obviously trying to play through the 
pain. Um, we know that that hindsight is twenty twenty, but it does feel like you know at least the League Cup games. Maybe he could have sat out, and this could have been avoided. Or is, is that a bit of a stretch? And it was it was unfortunate, wasn't it, for Petrovic that he he came on and basically all he did was pick the ball out of his net, not how he would have wanted to make his Chelsea debut. Yeah, I think we we all kind of said ahead of those League Cup games that we wanted to see. Petrovic given a chance. I think there's a little, a lot of intrigue about someone that hasn't been playing in European football for a while, coming from MLS. And as you say, Matt, it was it was a very strange one. I think it looked like he got injured in the first half and was going to have to come on. We assume it was the same same problem, and I don't know wh- whether that stemmed has stemmed from get, having you know played quite a lot of football um, at the start of this season compared to last year when he was he basically was out of the Brighton team. I'm I'm not so sure. And, you know, from a Petrovic perspective, if if Sanchez is forced to miss time, it's not ideal circumstances to come in and have to kind of be Chelsea's number one goalkeeper when, you know, the club is under huge amounts of pressure. You know, he's coming in and he knows he's coming in, not at a time when the manager necessarily wants him to come in, but because he has to. And I think going back to Sanchez, I do think Robert Sanchez has been one of Chelsea's better players this season I think he's made some fantastic saves and I know his distribution has come under a lot of criticism but that's clearly the way Pochettino wants him to play and he's while he has given the ball away in bizarre circumstances a few times and those are the ones that make the lowlights reels on X formerly known as Twitter he has made some fantastic passes I think and that has helped Chelsea in their build-up play so fingers crossed for Chelsea for him and to be honest for Petrovic a bit to maybe save him from being thrown to the wolves that Sanchez is is okay in the very near future. I think Pochettino said something he he picked up a problem at United. It's probably all those all those saves he had to make or, or certainly all the action he was involved in. <laughs> His goal big. Perhaps it was in the process of that double save, which he didn't know much about. But regarding Petrovic, one of the reasons I flagged up to speak to Sen is because Luke said I think we we all wanted Petrovic to play in the League Cup and yes and no I have to admit because I think I said in one of the I think it would have been definitely pre-Brighton when Matt would have asked the question what's your starting eleven? I would have said pick Sanchez because the game's so important like this League Cup run is so important but I do wonder whether the AFC Wimbledon game I'll get it right this week the AFC Wimbledon game and the Blackburn game was a chance. I think the problem with the AFC Wimbledon game, it came, he'd only just arrived. But I do wonder whether Blackburn, I felt that Pochettino got that, has got this man management wrong. He's left himself vulnerable to suddenly throwing his number two goalkeeper in with absolutely no preparation for English football. I, I just think that that is a bit of a mistake. And I just hope it doesn't bite him now because... If Sanchez is ruled out, for example, on Saturday against a sort of a Sheffield United side, that game has suddenly become a lot tougher than what we would have thought a week or two ago because Chris Wilder has gone in there and they're a bit more galvanised. Yeah, it's just another headache that uh, that Chelsea have to hopefully come through. Yeah, on that Sheffield United game, Louis says Potts should no doubt get the chance to have Nkunku at all back and see how the team fares. But since the international break, it's been as bad as under Potter and Lampard last season. Would a loss at home next week see the fans turn similar to the Villa home game 
last season. It's a massive couple of games coming up, isn't it, Luke? Because you've got Sheffield United at home, which was a gimme a few weeks ago, but as Simon says, maybe not now. I'm one of those teams who are going to come and sit back and frustrate Chelsea. And then that Carabao Cup quarterfinal on Tuesday of next week against Newcastle, uh, which without being dramatic, might well be Chelsea's season, right? Yeah, it certainly looks like uh, the Carabao Cup is Chelsea's best chance of of getting European football next year. And we we said this, uh, I think, before the Newcastle league game, that they're, you know, great time to play Newcastle. You know, they're struggling with injuries. They're dropping off a bit and look how that went. But great time to play Newcastle. Seemingly, they're struggling with injuries and they're dropping off a bit again. Uh, a couple of bad results. And I think Chelsea will look to take advantage of that. And Carabao Cup certainly won't be as important to Newcastle as it is to Chelsea, given their sort of Champions League commitments, although they would have finished in the Champions League by then. And of course, yeah, before then, Sheffield United <laughs> under Chris Wilder. I think I think it is a must-win game. I do think that if if that is a loss, I think Stamford Bridge will, or draw, Stamford Bridge will you know become a very unhappy place at around 5pm. Perhaps the only, you know, saving grace for Chelsea and Pochettino is that it's a Saturday 3pm game. And I feel like this is purely off vibes, but I feel like Chelsea have done better in those games than on TV this year. Maybe it's something about playing in front of the cameras. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a massive, massive run for Chelsea. And it's actually, you know, looking at the schedule right up until, you know, Fulham on the 13th of January. It's all, in theory, it's all very winnable games for Chelsea. It's, you know, Sheffield United, Newcastle, Wolves away, Palace at home, Luton away, Preston at home. And then Fulham at home, a lot of home games. And then you're looking at that run, thinking the hardest game there might be Wolves at Molyneux on Christmas Eve, given how they're playing and, you know, an away game. And that as a run in our league, you know, capital O, capital L, that is about as easy a run as you're going to get. And Chelsea really need to make the most of it heading into the January. Problem is... All those teams will be going, oh, I can beat Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, what, we have, what we have to remember is, and, and I think that's the difficulty that everyone's going through right now, is that you look at those fixtures with, with your old Chelsea hat on, the, you know, the Chelsea side that was, was good and consistent. And yes, a normal Chelsea, you would say, yeah, this is a good run of games. But I now think every single game is difficult. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Even Preston. I'm sort of thinking, oh, oh, that could be a difficult afternoon. Yeah, which games are you going to, Si, so I can just cross those <laughs> off the win column? Well, everyone would be delighted to know that I'm doing Sheffield United and Newcastle. So <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm really full of optimism. As I said on my voice note last week, I can't remember the last win I, I've seen. It's been quite a while. But what I would say, and I did say this to someone who was tolerating the, uh, the other day, Chelsea, I think, have become... They are a bit of a cup side in that they can sort of put in a performance out of nowhere. And it's like, can they time that performance for the League Cup when they need to become a cup side? I wonder if, if I was to pitch to listeners now, Chelsea are going to finish 13th but win the League Cup. Would they take that? I, right now would sign off on it and enjoy your summer because I don't think any trophy, well, any trophy right now would be absolutely massive for this club. But obviously it's going to take, what, three 
three more decent performances to do it. Yeah, look at the galvanising effects winning it had on Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag. So that's all we need to do. Nail down that Europa Conference League qualifying spot. <laughs> Everything's fine thereafter. I was pitching for the Conference League all the last season. I'm pitching for it again. I want to be back in the Conference League. Forget Champions League. That's that's boring. Especially as it's going to be a new format next season. Who wants to be involved in that? Um, Simon, before we move on from the men's first team, I'm going to ask you something that I know the answer to, but I feel like I want to ask it anyway. Okay. Romelu Lukaku, I know, scored his 19th goal of the season for club and country. No, never going to happen, Matt. <laughs> I mean, it's cheaper than spending £100 million on Victor Osman, no? I mean, just just absolute no way that he can come back for the second half of the season. Not going to happen. No. Let's just say the feeling's mutual. <laughs> All right, uh, fair enough. Lucy, you're going to have to drop the asking price for your Lukaku 9 shirt on eBay, I'm afraid. All right, well, look, we can cheer ourselves up by talking about the women's team next. Oh, wait, no, I just copied and pasted that from every other script I've written for the last 18 months. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Alessio Russo. They will be taking the three points. So, uh, Emma Hayes and Co. only top of the WSL on goal difference after being humbled in front of a record-breaking WSL crowd at the Emirates, slipping to a 4-1 defeat against Arsenal. Uh, she wasn't pleased. That's as bad as I've seen us for a long time. The better team won by a country mile. They bullied us. They dominated the duels. All our phases of play were poor. That's not us at our best today. That's probably us. At our very worst. I did also enjoy Simon Her being asked if there are any positives to take from it. And she said it's only a 20 minute drive home, uh, which was good. You watched a bit of this. My, I had my eyes on it in the press room at Goodison. And, and my analysis was kind of what Jesse was telling us last week. If Millie Bright's not in the defence, the defence is not very well organised. Yeah, but it wasn't just that. It just felt, it just felt flat. It didn't feel like, look, admittedly, right? I, I missed the start of the game. So I tuned in at, at one all. But you wouldn't have thought the teams were on level terms. Arsenal just sort of seemed to have more energy, more desire, just more of a will to win. I was very surprised. I was I was watching it going, hang on a minute. You know, am I watching the men's team? That that's how bad it was. Yeah, it was it was very surprising. And you could sort of see Emma Hayes sort of shaking it. It didn't help that, you know, the man of the the second goal you know, scored from a set piece. I mean, what what on earth the keeper was doing there? Bergen was 
you know, it was it was a gift um, to head into an empty net. Then, of course, the third, it was kind of Newcastle away esque, you know, dropping the men's team in it. it. You know, two goals in the space of a few minutes, and and then then you are up against it. But yeah, there just didn't seem to be any any phases of play where the women were sort of putting passes together. They just looked rattled. And I, I was very surprised because I, I can't remember seeing them like that on many occasions in the past. Yeah, if you think any two players would have a good relationship on the pitch, it would be Anne Katrin Berger and Jess Carter, but it did not seem to be the case for a couple of the goals yesterday. It's so jarring, isn't it, Luke, when we see the women's team put in a bit of a stinker of a performance because it happens so rarely. But you would expect a response against Hacken in the Champions League at Stamford Bridge on Thursday. Yeah, you um, you fear for Hacken, maybe. <laughs> um, the wrath of Emma Hayes. And I do wonder, you, kind of, you both mentioned it there, Simon and Matt, Musevic is the uh, the big question now uh, that Emma Hayes has, you know, played very well for Sweden at the World Cup in the summer. And I think she played the opening league game, WSL league game, but then hasn't really been seen since. And you wonder whether she might get her opportunity in the games to come before the winter break. Yeah, against fellow Swedes, of course, on Thursday too. Still got Hannah Hampton kicking about having signed in the summer and... and... Not seen any action thus far too. So some selection dilemmas ahead uh, potentially for Emma Hayes. That game against Hacken in the Champions League on Thursday night. Chelsea, as we said, well placed in the group and they will want to put on a performance to put right what went wrong on Sunday. Uh, some good news to finish with. The under-18s are through to the fourth round of the FA Youth Cup. They won 3-1 at Leicester in round three on Friday night. McNeely, Golding and Mahuka got the goals. Uh, Simon, this was a, a trophy that Chelsea dominated well, at the start of the, the last decade. It's been a while since they won it, though. But were you at Cambridge last year when they got knocked out Correct. in round three? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they've gone one further than that, at least. And, and you know, Party time. it's an important trophy for the Chelsea Academy, right? It's the most important trophy in, in youth football. So they'll be looking to go deep in it again. And, and, you know, going away to Leicester, another decent academy side, that's a good result. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for bringing back another happy memory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember it being particularly grim that night. I, I'm a big fan of McNeely, who actually played well in that game. And I remember sort of thinking, oh, fair play. Here's a guy to to watch because, you know, it's all really well standing out when, when uh, you know, your team's winning and, and everyone's full of confidence. But when your team's getting battered and, and and you're still sort of standing out and showing that you've got you've got something about you and you make you're still sort of fighting all the way and showing some quality. So I remember sort of making note to self, he he's one to keep an eye on. And I think he's from what I can tell, he's having another good season. And this is what we want to see because it's already well signing these youngsters from other countries uh for big money. But don't forget the talent that you have already within the confines of your own building. Yeah, he's got uh, 10 goals for the under-21s and under-18s combined this season, Donnell McNeely. Uh, Under-21s, by the way, playing in the PL Cup against Luton on Tuesday night. You can watch that one with me on the Chelsea app, if you like. That is just about going to do us for today, though. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday. We'll preview Sheffield United. We won't be able to talk about the women's game, but we'll try and find some positivity from somewhere anyway. Long way to go. Lots of games coming up in a short period of time. It can all turn around. Just keep the faith.
Uh, that'll do it for today, though. Thanks to Simon. Thanks to Luke. Thanks to Lucy. Thanks to you for joining us, too. We do appreciate all the contributions that you make to the pod via X, formerly known as Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify, that'll help other Chelsea fans find the pod, too. And if you want to sign up to Athletic, you can do that at athletic.com slash Chelsea pod. Right. We'll speak to you Thursday then. Bye for now. The Athletic.